In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we gather here this afternoon in the name of Jesus, and we make an act of faith that you are here with us in a special way. And we thank you for the ways that you have been revealing yourself to us and revealing your heart to us, your heart for us, your heart for your people. We pray that you would continue to reveal that heart to us. They would reveal the love that you have for us more and more. We pray for that knowledge in particular. And as we continue to reflect on memory and the healing of memories, the healing of our hearts, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to lead us and guide us and help us to hear your voice, help us to trust that you are speaking to us in different ways. that you respect where we're at and that you want to meet us where we're at and comfort us and affirm us in our true identity and lead us into an even deeper relationship with you that will truly be life-giving and fill us with hope and joy. Mother Mary, we turn to you once again and we ask you to help us to hear the Good Shepherd speaking to our hearts and reassuring us of his presence and his love. As we pray together, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I thought we would look at St. Peter for this afternoon's meditation. At the end of John's Gospel, I know it's a resurrection scene, but I thought it was rather fitting to just help us see how Jesus and Peter interacted to bring some healing to Peter. So it's John chapter 21. Gospel of John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Of course, that makes us think of when Jesus called Peter, right? That night they had been out all night and caught nothing. But then Jesus invites him to go out again and they have that miraculous catch of fish. That's from Luke chapter five. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, 
yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you caught any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in for the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his clothes for he was stripped for work and sprang into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So I just wanted to give all of that before we dive into the dialogue between Peter and Jesus, because it just shows, I think, the heart of Christ. Jesus knows they've been out again and caught nothing. He knows they're all struggling to some degree, even though it's post-resurrection. The fact that they were going fishing, I think, speaks to the fact that they were anxious uh, you know, I have a friend of mine who loves to vacuum when she's nervous. <laughs> so maybe, you know, we all have our things that we do when we're nervous. And this was what these guys knew best. So they were a little jittery, you can imagine. So like, ah, I'm just going to go fishing. All right, we'll go with you. <laughs> so once again, they're they're not very successful, but then Jesus helps them in a miraculous way of sorts. And then Peter is so excited when John calls out, it is the Lord. So you can, again, there's a certain anticipation there. Peter is wanting to reconnect with the Lord. He's looking forward to that. He's anxious about it. Not really sure what to do kind of impulsive as, as usual. So I think it's just good to, to look at that and to just be able to relate to that, that Peter's a real guy. He's got his own issues. Um, he had his own struggles. And yet here the Lord is seeking them out again. The Lord is seeking them out again. It's... It's, again, post-resurrection. And so this is a new beginning of sorts. This is a new beginning. And I think that's what Jesus is all about. Jesus is all about new beginnings. And it's never too late. 
it's never too late. And it's not that we can disqualify ourselves from a relationship with Jesus or from the mission that he has entrusted to us. Peter had been called. He was, he was the rock. And now you're going to see how Jesus helps his vicar, his first vicar, his first pope, bounce back. And it's very beautiful. So let's continue here with verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you fastened your own belt and walked where you would. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will fasten your belt for you and carry you where you do not wish to go. This he said to show by what death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. So we'll pause there again. Peter's learning his lesson. Because that first question that Jesus asks, if you notice, he asks, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter knows better than to compare himself again to everybody else. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. <laughs> so he dodges the question, right? He dodges the question in a certain way. And then he asks a second time, Simon Sanvan, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. And then a third time, do you love me? And of course, Jesus was having Peter affirm his love three times for the, in reparation, you could say, for the three times that he denied him. So, yeah, it's hard, right? It's, it's not pleasant necessarily. But one of the, the rules that you've probably heard me say before, you got to feel it in order to heal it. So Peter had to feel this. He had to feel this in the presence of Jesus, who was not there to condemn him. Notice Jesus is not wagging his finger in his face and saying, shame on you, Peter. It's not what Jesus is doing. What did he do? He prepared, first of all, he helped them have a miraculous catch of fish. He had already brought some bread and started a fire. And then he invites him to sit down and, and bring the fish and, and have breakfast. So there's this, interaction, this friendly 
meal that they're sharing, communion that they're sharing first before the conversation. So I think that's also a good model for our own healing prayer. Like just don't sit down to prayer and like dive into it, you know, at first. You know, but rather spend the time with the Lord. And that, that time might be a long time. It might take weeks or months or even years to develop the rapport with Jesus that might be required to heal certain things. God knows. God knows. But Jesus is showing here his willingness to spend that time. Jesus is not all about business. Jesus is not all about business. He's about the relationship. Because he knows that this is really important for the long-term success of the mission. Investing in the person. And so Jesus wants to invest in you as a person before he invests in you as an apostle. You're not an asset like Jason Bourne. And, you know, I think sometimes we we didn't always get that right in in Regnum Christi. You know, I know we didn't get it right in the Legion all the time. I felt more like a mercenary for Christ than a legionary of Christ. So thankfully, we're working that out and appreciating more the person, the individual person, and their unique gifts and qualities and situation. So that's really important. Again, Jesus is always the model for us, right? Look at how he does it. Look at how Jesus does it. I think Jesus is honest with Peter. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you fastened your own belt and walked where you would. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will fasten your belt for you and carry you where you do not wish to go. And St. John adds the note there for us. This, he said to show by what death he was to glorify God. Presumably when John's writing this, Peter had already been martyred. So John could reflect back on this conversation. So let's keep going. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw following them the disciple whom Jesus loved who had lain close to his breast at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Notice how John likes to write about himself. (laughs) When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? 
this young whippersnapper, you know, because John was the youngest, right? So Peter probably was the oldest. And, you know, that's tough, right? So what about this young whippersnapper? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So, <laughs> again, look at how slow Peter is, right? I mean, just after, you know, this conversation with Jesus, and he turns around and immediately he's starting to worry about, well, what about, what about him? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus is like, don't you get it? Like, don't worry about him. But that is such a temptation, right? It's such a temptation for us to compare ourselves to other people. And that is just useless, a waste of time. I was reading something here the other day that really, uh, yeah. So again, Father Joseph Burke's book, Renewing the Fire of Pentecost. The chapter the other day was entitled Charisms, Day 21, Charisms. Listen to what he says here. Because Peter obviously was getting a big charism. He was going to be vicar of Christ. <laughs> That's a pretty big charism, right? And yet he was still insecure in his own charism. Sound familiar? So here, listen to what Father Joseph writes. I really liked this. Charisms are not something we can merit. They are given freely. They also must be treated with great respect and humility. Perhaps one of the reasons that the Spirit guards them with certain reserve is that they can cause pride in the one who receives them and envy in those who don't. The, temp the temptation to think I am better than others or even that my holiness or merits are the source of the gift is one that comes often and must be repeatedly denied. Be that as it may, we need to ask the Spirit to be generous with his charisms. They are essential for the mission and sanctity of the church. So you all have different gifts. You all have different gifts, and they're all important. They're all important. But don't let that be a cause of pride in yourself, nor should somebody else's gift be a cause of envy in your heart. They're all important. So, but even... St. Peter and St. John struggled with this, right? So, of course, we're going to struggle with it, too. But it's something to be attentive to. So just be grateful for the gifts that you have. That's probably the best way to guard against the pride and the envy and keep acknowledging Jesus as the source of gifts, not your own merits or your own holiness. Don't think it's because I've been faithful that I've received this or that gift. Not true. <laughs> Not true when it comes to the charisms for evangelization.
So memory, hopefully this encounter with Jesus was healing for Peter. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. So it helped to heal the memory of that holy Thursday night when he denied that he even knew Jesus three times. After bragging in front of all of his brothers that he would never do such a thing. So it was healing insofar as Jesus was affirming his calling. He was affirming the gift that he had already given to Peter. So he wasn't going to take it back. Jesus isn't an Indian giver that way. He wasn't going to punish Peter by giving it to somebody else. So, so the healing of this memory allowed Peter to really then embrace his charism. And then you see that on Pentecost when they all receive this fresh outpouring of the Spirit and Peter goes out there with great boldness, great conviction, great humility. And he tells people the way it is. I wanted to read this short chapter on memory from Sacred Story Affirmations. In order to understand our thoughts, words, and deeds in the present, we must have some awareness of how they link to events from our past history. And to understand our past history, it is important to understand that our subconscious awareness holds 99.999% of what we have experienced in life. Events in the present trigger our subconscious memories, which can operate at approximately one million times the speed of our conscious awareness. Let me repeat that. Events in the present trigger our subconscious memories, which can operate at approximately one million times the speed of our conscious awareness. We unconsciously interpret our conscious awareness based on past experiences. And modern science can now study the brain and see all of this actually at work. When we enter our 15-minute daily prayer, we need to ask for God's grace to remember thoughts, words, and deeds from our past day or half day in and of themselves, but also in light of our past history. We seek God's grace to help us dismantle present sinful, destructive, and addictive thoughts, words, and deeds that have their roots in our early story. This daily or half daily holy remembering facilitated by God's grace can help you begin to link your present and your past history. Jesus will make your holy remembering bear fruit. 
Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will ensure you find healing and peace for your past, present, and into your future. That's what Jesus was doing for Peter. Because he knew Peter reacted the way he did based on his own personal history. He was a very self-reliant man in a negative sense. You know, He trusted very much in himself and didn't necessarily trust very much in God or in others to help him. So Jesus was teaching him how to rely more on God and God's grace. We seek God's grace to help us dismantle present sinful, destructive, and addictive thoughts and the lies, right? You could throw in the lies there. Words and deeds that have their roots in our early story. Again, we ask for those specific graces. So here's a specific petition right here. Oh God, we ask your help for our daily holy remembering of the present and the past. May we begin to see more clearly in all our thoughts, words, and deeds that which moves us closer to you and also that which removes us from your presence. We ask a measure of grace each moment so that gradually all our thoughts, words, and deeds are shaped by your creation, presence, memory, mercy, and eternity. So you can see how this is all related. How all of these different steps help us to grow in awareness. And again, God's going to be gentle it's not even that you have to remember all the gory details. If there are gory details, that's not necessary. But like getting in touch with the emotion is because a, a buried emotion never dies. Emotions that we try to bury, they never die. They fester. So the repression of emotion will come back to bite us. One way or another. But we can't do this kind of work by ourselves either. We don't have the capacity to do it by ourselves. Because we can't heal ourselves. We can't change ourselves and that's not a bad thing that's just the reality that we find ourselves in that's what it means to be human to be human necessarily means to be needy to be human necessarily means to be needy i know you don't like to hear that but that's the truth <laughs> so we have to embrace that truth we have to embrace our littleness we have to embrace our littleness by the grace of God because it's not a natural thing, that's for sure. The natural reaction is to run away from it. That's for sure.
close with a couple of more petitions here and, and lights. Memory. I believe every violation of love committed by me and against me is in my memory. And I ask God to reveal them to me, especially those that have manifested themselves today so I can be healed. I hold in my heart by the power of God's grace, the memory of every action of every thought, word, and deed done to me and done by me that has eroded my innocence. I affirm that these unloving thoughts, words, and deeds have spiritual, physical, and emotional consequences that wound me, others, and creation, and for which Christ had to suffer for my redemption. I believe all these unloving actions have both generational and evolutionary consequences. At the root of my own narcissism are some events that more than others have significantly distorted my heart and mind. These events cripple my desire and my ability to love selflessly and to freely forgive others. Some, some heavy hitting stuff there. And when he uses narcissism, it's not the clinical diagnosis. It's his way of saying pride, self ungodly self-reliance. Illuminative grace. Here I ask for what I desire to become conscious of my lost innocence, to have the grace to see and the power to touch the original sins and wounds, especially the most vital ones, which shape in me an anti-story instead of a sacred story. I ask for the grace of an illumined conscience to know intimately how these wounds and sins connect to everything I do that makes life burdensome to know how and why these wounds so often compel me to violate God's life in myself, others, and creation. I ask God for the grace to wake up so I can see, feel, and name these thoughts, words, and deeds and bring them to the light of day to be healed by the divine physician. So that's not all going to happen this afternoon <laughs> or in the next day or two. Right? But it's a process. And I know many of you have already started this process pretty sincerely. If you haven't, well, no time like the present. It's never too late. It's never too late. That's the good news. It's never too late. And this is what it, this is the path of sanctity. I think, you know, we got these pictures of these men and women up here, and so often we. We read about their lives and it just sounds so romantic or it just sounds so bizarre, unrelatable, unrelatable. But if you were to really dig into their personal stories, they all had their struggles that they had to work through. I think that's where Therese, because she wrote her own story and she had sisters with her in religious life who could continue to comment on it. You know, if you've never read Story of a Soul, go back or, you know, read Story of a Soul, Teresa's autobiography. And if you've read it, but it's been a long time, maybe go back and reread it in light of this whole creation, presence, memory, mercy, eternity. Because Therese is revealing all kinds of wounds throughout that book. She's revealing all of her issues and how she struggled with them. 
and how she overcame them by the grace of God through that huge trust that little by little, more and more, grew in her. So the saints all had their issues. Peter clearly had his issues, you know? And John clearly had his issues. But, you know, they allowed God, little by little, more and more, to go into those dark places and bring light. And John himself commented on that, remember, in the very first chapter, in the very first verses. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The reason why this is intimidating is because when these things happened to us originally, we didn't have the faith, we, or you know, we didn't have the relationship with Jesus or with some other older person who could help us walk through these things and make sense of them. So don't try to do it without Jesus, right? But getting in touch with Jesus and his mind and his heart and his glory, his grace, his mercy... Once you have that rapport going with him, well, now, now we can do anything. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, Paul said. And Paul said that because he experienced it. He experienced it. It was a conviction that he had. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and that is true. Let's close with... Romans 8, 31, if you need to be motivated, this, these are some of the most motivating lines for me in all of Scripture. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And you could add, nor things past, nor things past, nor things present, nor things to come. So there's nothing that has happened to you. There's nothing that you've done that can separate you from God when you invite him into it, to redeem it, to heal it. Nothing. 